from American Salon Magazine and .com. This is American Salon Stories, a weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. Welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast. I'm Gordon Miller, your podcast host and the CEO of Hairbrain.me. Today's guest is Wynn Claybaugh, the founder, dean, and co-owner of Paul Mitchell Schools. He's also recognized as one of the best motivational speakers in the country, inside and out of beauty. He's the author of Be Nice or Else, an industry classic, in my opinion, one of my favorite books. He is the host of the 25-year-plus-old Masters Audio Club with a, a list of guests that's the envy of this podcast host. He's a passionate fundraiser for a great causes. He's won more awards and accolades than we can count, including most recently the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, recognizing his lifelong pursuit and commitment to philanthropy. And in 2016, American Salon, this podcast's host and owner, you know, uh, named Wynn, one of the five industry leaders who helped revolutionize education in beauty. He's also a husband and a father to his beautiful daughter, Sophia, a budding industry icon. Everybody knows Sophia, Wynn. Uh, welcome to the American Salon Stories podcast, my, my dear and very longtime friend, Wynn Claybaugh. Thank you, Gordon. Uh, really is a pleasure. And just so everybody knows, you're not just saying that, that we're uh, dear friends, because uh, I think you and I have more of a personal relationship as good friends and colleagues in the in the industry than we have had in in business relationships and we go back you ready i think 35 years gordon it, it's correct and and you know and, and kind of behind the scenes you know for podcasts for the, for our listeners we know everybody today loves behind the scenes it took me like five times to get this intro even close to right and i think part of the reason is i know so much about you your bio is so long you've accomplished so much you've impacted so many lives that it was actually hard to not divert from my little script so uh you know kudos thanks for being a friend for all these years and and we have lots to talk about so i, I, I kind of want to start having you provide a you know, kind of an overview of who is when today, what's the big picture job, and, and what's a typical day? Uh, first of all, my, my days nowadays are very uh, typical and scheduled because I have a five-year-old daughter. So every, everybody who has kids knows that they thrive when they're on a very set schedule, and she certainly is, from when she gets up to when she eats to when she goes to bed. And, and I tell you the truth, I kind of thrive under that as well. Um, I love the fact that she wakes me up at 530 almost every single morning. I think anybody listening to this, whether it's a dog or a cat or a fish or an alarm clock that wakes you up at 530 in the morning, uh, talk to the most successful people. They'll tell you that that's when things happen. Good things happen at 530 in the morning. And, and so I love to have that, that schedule with her. Um, I'm also a room parent for her kindergarten class. And so that's another full-time job that I have, which I love. Um, and also, I'm still very, very, very involved in every single aspect of running the Pumichel School world. I can't help but but say to the audience, if you've got a fish that's waking you up at 530 in the morning, please please ping me, send me a note. <laughs> I want to learn more about your fish. <laughs> I, uh, but I agree with you that a, a schedule is a great thing to have. And, and um, you know, if anything, knowing you for all these years, I, I know you're a, a, a complete or you were a complete workaholic. So, um, again, quite proud of you for finding this balance in your life. Um, I, I, I think it's transformed you in so many ways. And I'm sure a lot of that personal balance has had a positive impact on your professional life. And I'm going to ask you to talk about that for a minute. Well, th again, thank goodness that it happened to me that I became a father because, I mean, truthfully, I think as I got older, I would have become a, a bit of a jerk. And so this is 
kind of switched my focus and my priorities and in, in all in a way that that serves me well as a as a human being. But, uh, it, you know, when my daughter was born, I moved my office to my home. Uh, I reorganized the company because prior to that, there were 20 people that I worked directly with within my organization. Now there are only two. Uh, so I just kind of simplified everything, still involved in everything with the, within the Palm Beach School world and, and other ventures and activities as well. But I, I'm still involved in marketing and operations and financial aid and improving our, our curriculum that we offer, the educational experience for our future professionals. Uh, you know, because as they say, the six words of a failing company are, we've always done it that way. <laughs> so none of us are retiring here. None of us are calling it a day. We're constantly in that mode of reinvention and tweaking and adding to it and improving. And so, and I love being a part of all that. But the good news is uh, I got a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant team of people. So they give me that freedom. If I, if I miss a meeting because something went on with my daughter, they're all like thrilled. They're like, you know, good for you, Win. go be a dad. We got this covered and that feels good. And, uh, you know, a great lesson there, you know, in, in terms of surrounding ourselves with the right people, you know, whether we're the boss, you know, or, or whether, you know, we're growing up in a company, it's just so important to have the right people around us. Well, you know, I, that, that used to hold me back because I used to, I remember once, and I, I've told him this, so he wouldn't mind me sharing this. I remember sitting with band council, I don't know, 25 years ago, and we were at dinner, and, and he was rambling on and on about his financials and about uh, this and his knowledge of that and operations. And I was sitting there thinking, he is so much smarter than I am. And I, I wasn't inspired by that. I was pissed off. <laughs> I, I left that meeting, that dinner gathering, kind of upset, like, damn, I'm screwed. I Because I I'm not as smart as Van is. I don't know that information. But Quickly, I realized that I don't, I don't have to be the smartest person. What I, what I have to be is the most positive person because I don't have control over being the smartest person, and I never will. But I do have control over being the most positive person, and that helps me attract very, very smart people uh, that, that run my company. You know, I, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the prettiest <laughs> in my company. I'm not the most talented person in my company, and again, I don't have to be. Well, perhaps not the prettiest, but you know, I, I I do have to say you're in really great shape um, for a person of a certain age, and and you know you of course with social media we get to all see one another, and and so typically when I've talked to you over the last few years, um, you always usually have me call call you when you're in the gym. So I, I again I know you have that balance. I know you do take care of yourself, and I I think that's one of the reasons you continue to be the one of the energizer bunnies of beauty. Yeah, it just works that way. I mean, just how, how many more studies do we need to, to, to read to learn that our physical fitness, our wellness has so, so much to do with our happiness and our productivity and in every area of our lives, not just in work, but in self-esteem and in our marriages and everything else. And, and by the way, Gordon, I'm going to be 70 when my daughter graduates from high school and I'm not sure if I, I can say this, you can edit this if it's inappropriate, but you know, when, when you have a little boy, they say that you only have to worry about one penis. You know, I have a girl, I have to worry <laughs> about 
thousands of them out there. So I got to stay energetic. We're not editing that out. I promise you. <laughs> uh, All right. we, we live in a world where we, where we can tell the truth in so many ways. Yeah, today, well, you so. guys know what I'm talking about. I got my work cut out for me. <laughs> I, I love that. So, so let's go way back with you because um, we, we have known each other a very, very long time. We, we first met when I moved to Utah um, to run a, a chain of old school beauty schools. And you were the, the new kid on the school owner block, um, if you will, in the, in the Salt Lake area region. Um, you were, when you and I first met, you, you owned uh, Von, you co-owned, I believe, Von Curtis, a salon. You had just opened the first Von Curtis Academy. Um, you were doing things very, very different. So kind of two questions. Um, how did you get into the hair business? Let's start with that. And then how did you pivot into schools and why? I uh, had some money that I wanted to invest in some type of a business. I had friends that were hairdressers and they talked me into opening up a salon. The salon was about the size of your desk. It was a tiny, tiny three chair salon in a basement location in Provo, Utah. Um, but I think the rent was $205 a month. So it, it, not a lot of risk there, but, but it absolutely laid a foundation both with the systems that we created, the reputation that we created, and the team that we created. And so I learned really, really quickly. I remember going to my first IBS show and walking around that show with that brochure thinking, because uh, I'm not a hairdresser, I never went to college, not one day of college, barely, and I mean barely graduated from high school. Apparently they want you to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I told them I was busy. Uh, <laughs> And so I knew that I had to learn really, really fast. And, and so I just got my hands on every single uh, mentor and, and show and whatever I could do. One of my first mentors was uh, Sam Bricado because he had come out with that book, Beautiful Business. And I devoured that book. I read that book like you would not believe that was my manual to learn about the beauty industry. And somehow I, I contacted him and uh, he said, oh, yeah, we should get together one day. Well, then I showed up at his doorstep, literally in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at his home. And he talks about this like, oh, my God, Holly, there's some guy on our doorstep right now. Who is this kid? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I was a, I was a, a mentor stalker <laughs> because because I was desperate. You know, they say that you're you're motivated through inspiration or desperation. For me, that many years ago, it was pure desperation. I didn't know anything about the beauty industry, but I knew that I needed to know because I had a team of people uh, that were relying on me. I was making lots and lots of promises to them of what we were going to become, what we we're going to turn into, because, you know, I like to tell the truth in advance. <laughs> so, uh, so there was a lot riding on it. And, and the, the good news is I, I fell in love with the beauty industry. And fortunately, hairdressers fell in love with me. And it's been a wonderful marriage for over 35 years. And Sam Bricado was a was a recent guest on this podcast. For anybody who hasn't heard it, go back to the playlist and pull that up. We we talk about beautiful business. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I, I I still have it. I've got a couple copies actually. A signed one. I I uh, pulled out to refresh myself before that podcast, and it, it just remains remains really a classic. And I, I love that you point out you know the the importance of just going out there and connecting with people and having the guts to do it. And we, you know, I talk to so many people as do you who, who have made it in this industry and, and credit the mentors, the people that they, before they became who they ultimately became, um, just took a chance. And I think so many people um, will tell you that they were, they were perhaps surprised, but I don't know too many people 
who got no's when they went out and, and sought out some help, when they knocked on that door, as you did with Sam, they didn't turn you away. They didn't call the police. <laughs> no. And, and by the way, you're exactly right. And I have friends in other industries, whether it's you know medical or real estate industry, who tell me that it's the exact opposite in their industry, that the people who are the most successful, who have all the knowledge and all the experience will not share their secrets or their expertise. In our industry, it's, it's the opposite of that. Uh, I'm, I, I've never been turned down by anybody. I've never heard no, even if it was Vidal Sassoon, he always said yes to me. And whenever I hook somebody up with somebody that is their mentor, you know, Hey, I, I, I want to work with Adam Broderick. Okay, cool. Here's his number. And then they call me back and say, I can't believe Adam took my call. And we sat on the phone for two hours. Yeah, it's 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 so much in in the DNA, you know, of the hairdresser. Um, I think you know, just naturally giving, naturally passionate um, people who 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 just um, want to share. Well, all we have to do is just reach out because I guarantee the information is available. The mentors are available. So you've been reaching out for 20 some, I don't know, how many years now on Masters have you been reaching out to some of the most iconic people in the industry and outside the industry, bringing these great voices and, and great advice to the industry? I mean, um, talk a little bit about that experience. Because well, so it, it is over 20 years. And, but, you know, I was smart in that the first person that I asked to interview for Masters, which is an audio, monthly audio club. And so I have subscribers in 10 countries that every single month I produce a new issue, an audio issue, it's not video, audio issue that I send out. And the first person that I asked was Vidal Sassoon. And he said, yes, because after that, who's gonna tell me no? <laughs> if Vidal said, said yes, why would somebody else tell me no? And nobody has ever turned me down. Uh, by the way, out of the hundreds and hundreds that I've interviewed and including Sam Ricardo and the president of Southwest Airlines and Larry King and Fran Drescher and Lisa Gibbons and, and, um, me you know, Sharon, and me and Sharon me Blaine and you and Gordon, <laughs> uh, I've never paid a dime to any of these people. I've never paid one dime to any of these people to have the opportunity to interview them. And they've always, always said yes. That's so cool. And, and, you know, recently I know you had John Mosley. So there's a whole new crop of people, of course, always coming up. And now social media is all around us and it's, it's helping people bubble up, I, I think, faster. So I, I love also that you're, you're exposing new talent to this vast audience that you have around the world. Well, Gordon, if, if, if the future of our industry is, uh, relies on us old guys, we're all in trouble. <laughs> you know, I, I remember Carmen de Pasquale saying that. He's like, you know, the future of my company is not dependent upon me because if it is, you know, we're going to be closed tomorrow. And he was just so thrilled with the up and coming next generation of professionals because that was the energy, that was the group of people and the talent that would take his company to a whole nother level that he could never get there on his own. I love that. And, and Carmen's a great guy. And actually, we're working on getting him scheduled right now. So it's, it's funny that you bring up his name. So but let's go back to the schools. Um, you mentioned the salons. You you took a segue, you know, a real left turn and, and opened your first school in, in I believe, in Provo. Um, and so what was that about? What, what led you to schools? It was it was quick. So I opened up a salon, a second salon. And within a year of opening up the first salon, I had a school. So I, I went quickly. And that was because I felt like the people that we were interviewing to come and work in the two salons that we had after spending a year in school were not at all ready and prepared to work in the professional salon industry. And so, you know, me back there in 
in my little uh, <laughs> ignorance thought, well, I'll just open up my own school. You know, we'll, we'll do it ourselves. Uh, learned a lot of things the, the hard way. You know, but I think that the time that I ran into you when you were sent down by your boss to spy on me to find out <laughs> what this little punk doing. I think I, I think I think you told me that I was I was clean and I told you that the janitor called in sick that day or something like that. First of all, there, there, there was no janitor. I was the janitor. You know, I, I was I was the receptionist. I was the, the admissions leader. You know, you do everything. Let me well, let me let me add a point of clarification and, and the truth, too. Um, so it wasn't that my my boss had sent me down to spy. Um, the reality was I, I actually went to an owner meeting, the 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 state private school owners get together every so often. I'm assuming they probably still do. And there was a conversation and I happened to be in the room. I was the young kid in the room with the guy who owned the chain that I was at. And they started talking about this really kind of strange young guy who had opened this odd school down in Provo. And the more they talked about what you had done wrong, the more fascinated I was. And and I was like, this sounds actually kind of cool and exciting. I want to go, I want to go meet this guy. And actually I did, I, I contacted you and, and you said, yeah, come on in. And um, so I, uh, in spite of everybody else thinking you were nuts, um, I was, <laughs> I decided to take a chance on you and check you out and, uh, and, was, and was blown away by what I saw um, because, you know, it was fresh and it was new and you built your school literally almost across the street from a university and you told me that you, I'll never forget this, and, um, you, you know, you, you told me you're up on the second floor and, and, and you said that um, you wanted to locate your school near a population of people um, who would allow students to work on the same kind of people they'd work on in the salon. And, and back then, we're talking the 1980s, many of the beauty schools had predominantly senior citizens. And, and I know that you have a great love of seniors. And I know that at all the Paul Mitchell schools, I'm sure there's a population of those folks who were in the mix, just like they should be in the mix in salons. But it wasn't the majority, like what we saw in most schools. You were attracting young people, and that mattered to you. Well, I, I had heard from people that I was interviewing while they were in beauty school, they did, you know, 2,000 shampoo sets. How many haircuts did you do? I did three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we knew r- right away that that had to change. We had to find the clientele that wanted um, the, all the other services, but maybe couldn't afford the salon prices. And so there there you go. Let's open up near a, a university where there's a bunch of college students. That was revolutionary. I mean, I, I, I can't, you know, again, for young people today, they may not understand how what a profound shift that was in thinking. And many, many years later now, we see schools, not just Paul Mitchell schools, but but many other schools that have, have kind of taken on some of the bigger ideas you had, that being one of them. I think the language of learning and the language of teaching and, you know, the the fact that you, you know, designate students, quote unquote, as future professionals, that you have learning leaders. Talk a little bit about that, because that was another kind of big idea that I think you brought to the industry. Well, the things that I was learning back then, it, it wasn't just mentors within the beauty industry. People, again, like Sam Bricado and Van Council. And uh, I mean, there's a huge, big, long list that I still love and admire to this day. I also looked outside the beauty industry and, and in companies like the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton and the importance of language. You know, when somebody says thank you and you respond with no problem, you know, that just never sounded professional. And so I knew that we had to come up with a new language for how we sold uh, education, how we sold the services that we offered. And so 
again, 35 years ago, we stopped calling them students and called them future professionals. We stopped calling them instructors and called them learning leaders. Uh, we we, we want to make sure that everybody within the organization is, is empowered because if anybody in the organization is left out, meaning if anybody within the organization is made to feel that they are not contributors, that they're that they're not important to the overall success of the organization or the company, then you better believe you're going to have uh, people fighting against you, working against you. doesn't matter if somebody's been there two weeks working for you and they're a shampoo assistant or they're a janitor or whatever. That person needs to be fully engaged within the organization. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't. There's that joke. The man's given a, a tour of his facility and the person asks him, so how many people work here? And the man responded with, oh, about half, about half work here. <laughs> And the reason why that can't happen is because people aren't engaged. And so, you know, beauty school instructors back then, again, we're going back to the 80s, were made to feel that they were at the bottom of the totem pole in order of importance in the beauty industry, that they were all losers, that they were salon dropouts, that they couldn't make it in the salon. And so they retired, so to speak, in a beauty school as a beauty school instructor. And and we knew that we had to change that whole paradigm, that we had to change that whole image of who beauty school instructors really are and empower them and give them the education. First of all, the, the respect, give them the respect, give them the trust, you know, because you can't, you can't demand trust. The only way that you can get trust back is that you give it to other people. And, and so we knew we had to do all of our events were at top locations because I used to go to these beauty school industry training events and they were at the worst hotel in the worst town, in the worst side of the train tracks of that town. And so we decided like all of our trainings, the first training that we did within our school world was at the Four Seasons Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. And we've always maintained that status. Why shouldn't a beauty school instructor, again, our learning leaders, receive education while they're staying at the Four Seasons Hotel? Mm-hmm. I, I so love that. And and it, it is a paradigm shift. And it's it, it actually, in many ways, I don't know, goes against the grain of how we think of educators in America generally. I don't think teachers, whether it's elementary school or high school, or um, teachers generally are, are, are given the respect that they deserve. So to have this happening in our industry was quite special. And it certainly got the attention of a lot of people. And I would argue that um, in many ways has literally revolutionized the school industry because it certainly has been adopted now, I would say, beyond just the Paul Mitchell schools, which, by the way, there's a hundred and how many of those schools now? 120, I think. Wow. And wow. by the way, that, that school in Provo, Utah, that I opened over 35 years ago is still there and going strong. What's, what's really funny is that I've got, literally, I'm not exaggerating here, I literally have grandchildren starting at that school, <laughs> grandchildren <laughs> of my original students. And so that's pretty wow. exciting too. That's uh, yeah, we're we're getting old, aren't we? Um, <laughs> in a good way, we're getting old. Um, so you've done some other things in the schools that I, th- I think are quite fascinating because I, 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 schools generally, I think sometimes you know perceive themselves as the victims of of state board regulations and and the way that they have to teach and the kind of things that they have to teach. But you've really, I think, taken a really broad stroke approach to curriculum design. 
um, you know, I go, I've been in many of the Palm Mitchell schools and, and I think you deal with business in a way that's innovative. You've got, you know, teaching, teaching methodologies that are really kind of deeply embedded in everything that you do. Um, you've got a lot of education built around culture and, and, um, philanthropy and giving back. Talk about some of that, your philosophy on, you know, the bigger idea of curriculum. Well, you mentioned that because schools are so regulated that sometimes they can use that as the excuse, mm -hmm. like, woe is us. We're more regulated than a coffee shop or than a, than a hair salon. And woe is the world that we live in. And so we can't focus on culture. We can't, which is just ridiculous. You know, every, every business has its challenges and, you know, we just play that game. We, and we do it really, really well. We are, we are good citizens. We follow every single guideline. And then some, we want to make sure that any agency that comes in to inspect us, we're not pissed off that they're there. We're happy that they're there. And we want them to leave our school saying, wow, they are absolutely on target, on track here. And so, you know, just do what you have to do and get over it all the, already. But um, the, the other stuff that we teach as part of our curriculum, for me, it wasn't enough just to teach somebody how to cut and color beautiful hair. You know, that's, that's the excuse that we're using. One of my mentors, Marianne Williamson, used to say that every business is a front for a church. And when she said that, she wasn't talking about a church as in religion. She was talking about a place where people can go. Uh, they feel safe. They feel loved. They feel protected. They feel like they're inspired and empowered to become better human beings, better parents, better citizens. And by, by the way, a pizza parlor could be that. A pizza parlor could be a front for a church where people go and the people who work there have this attitude that, wow, we we create this clean environment for families to come in and have a meal together and bond with each other. As a team working at this pizza parlor, we all signed up for the cancer walk together. So it doesn't matter what you're selling or what you're doing for, for, for work. But I took that on and I knew that the Palm Mitchell School curriculum needed to be more than just how to cut and color beautiful hair. It had to be about teaching people how to become better human beings, better sons and daughters, how to overcome addictions, how to get safe. Because, uh, you, you know, Gordon, frankly, um, the things that our students, our future professionals have dealt with at such a young, young age, everything from homelessness to addictions to eating disorders to abuse to rape to you name it. Well, I need to understand their life's journey because I can't take their tuition dollars and not have compassion or awareness or education on who they are and what their life is like. And so we absolutely want to be that safe place where people can come. I love it when I hear it a lot that, wow, this is the first place where I've ever felt like I fit in. I didn't necessarily fit into high school. I didn't necessarily fit into college, but here I finally feel like I can call this home, like this is where I belong. And that's none of that. None of that is by accident. And in support of that, I think one of the, the many things that have grown out to your kind of philosophy of, of, of approaching, you know, the creation of great education, something that I've seen grow out of that is the Andrew Gomez Foundation. And, and I know there's a bigger story there that I want you to share, but but also, I know that Paul Mitchell students, because of the Andrew Gomez Foundation, have access to not only 
I guess, more traditional types of continuing education or guest speakers, but you bring in in a lot of resources into the schools to talk about some of the issues that you just addressed, whether it's addiction or abuse. You've given great support to the transgender community within the schools. So talk about that. Okay. Well, we we started the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation. Uh, It's a nonprofit organization. It is not at all exclusive to the Palm Mitchell world. It is a beauty industry-wide nonprofit organization. I'm very proud to say that we have given hundreds of thousands of dollars, even within the last little while, for PBA Disaster Relief Fund. When Katrina hit, when fires hit, when tornadoes hit, with these recent hurricanes, we're a huge contributor to that. Uh, We've given money to Sister Bonnie's Franciscan haircuts from the heart. We've given a ton of money to cut it out, to look good, feel better, to all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the Palm Mitchell world. Because again, Andrew Gomez is not exclusive to our world. But what we do do is we raise money to provide educational experiences for people within the beauty industry, unique educational experiences. And so because of, of, of that focus, uh, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful, amazing educators industry-wide and people who are outside of the beauty industry who come into the beauty industry. And again, these events are open to everybody uh, for continued education. So, you know, I, I learned a long time ago that my career should never be exclusive. There's a lot of people who are very in exclusive in, in their approach, meaning they will only work with artists or educators who fall under the same product brand that they represent. And that was never, ever my focus. I like to be inclusive. And, you know, so I love it that people like Ted Gibson and Vivian McKinder and Beth Minardi and Ruth Roach, again, these people have nothing to do with Paul Mitchell, yet they are part of the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation to go out and offer unique educational experiences. Um, But we also bring outsiders too. Uh, Tim Story, who is part of Oprah's team, he's been featured twice on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. He's doing a big educational cruise with her this fall. And I think he's been to 30 of my schools just within the last couple of years. Kathy Buckley, who's first hearing impaired comedian and has her own foundation for for deaf and hard of hearing children around the country. Uh, She's, I bet, has made 50 appearances uh, because of the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation. And obviously she has nothing to do with the beauty industry. So you know what? We, we, we have access, you know, as they say, if you want to get the job done, call a hairdresser because hairdressers know everybody. You know, when I pulled Betty White and Dolly Parton into our fundraising campaign, you know, you call their agent, the agent is paid to say no. How did I get to those people? I called their hairdresser. <laughs> when, when I recently um, had the great honor of, of doing a master's program with you, I, I, you were kind of surprised when I, when I had a recollection and, uh, um, which was going back to our very, very early days um, when you were in the beginning of your of your time with with the Von Curtis Academy. Um, I remember you doing fundraising, and in particular, I remember it was called Vanity was the first one I remember. Um, it was a um, local kind of event. Obviously, it was the one school then, um, but I was really taken by. A, the effort you put into it, B, the fact that you were able to bring local celebrities, whether it was the local news anchor, I believe Marie Osmond was involved way back then. Um, but it was it was also a sign of, of stuff to come. So that philanthropy, and again, you just got that Ellis Island recognition for a, a lifetime of it, that was early for you. Um, where, where does that come from? Absolutely comes from mom and dad. 
Mm. raised with eight kids. So none of us ever had our own bedroom. We, We were taught that we had to share, that we had to look out for each other. And and so that just kind of uh, grew into the business model that I have. I also want to be part of what's called Generation G. The G stands for generosity. And every business, I truly believe this, that every business needs to have as part of their their business model something that is philanthropic, something where they're, they're, they're just as concerned with putting money out into the community for good reasons as they are with putting money into their own pocket. In fact, I mean, there's so many studies about that, that, you know, 86% of consumers believe that businesses must make this a priority, that they will choose whether or not they're going to buy your product or your service based on whether or not you're, you're giving back. And by the way, giving back nowadays doesn't mean that we attend one black tie fundraising cocktail party a year. You know, some people like, well, you know, check, check that off the list. Well, cool. You went to that party in October, but what about September? How are you giving back in September? And, 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 and also in December, what are the needs there? Oh, and then again, in February, who are the, the people within your local community that need your love and your support? And so it, it has to be a part of our business model of what we do every single day. But you're right. It did start way back then. And, and uh, I've learned a lot of things along the way. I think a lot of people, they're really smart in their for-profit business, and then they're uneducated in their non-profit endeavors. And what I mean by that is, you know, for your for-profit, you're going to shop around to get the best price on office supplies or cleaning supplies. You know, you're going you're gonna to make some good financial decisions when it comes to your bottom line to, to have a more profitable company. But when it comes to non-profit, people write stupid checks. They write checks out to an organization that is, you know, using 90% of the the money for, for overhead. So they're not doing their research and spending wisely. And I don't believe that we should spend $100 to raise $100. And so what I've learned across the, the many, many years of doing this is that we have to follow that model. And, and while a lot of charities, and I understand the importance of a charity spending money because to have the best of the best running that charity, you have to pay salaries. You have to, you have to pay those things. I, I get that. But beyond 25%, I, I, I kind of question and we're at 4%. Wow. That's, that's brilliant. And, and I think again, for the audience, you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, we're, we're still in the aftermath of, of both Harvey and Irma and, um, people are, I think sometimes struggling, um, to consider whether they'll even make a donation because they don't know who to trust. And now we have all these digital tools. We have, you know, we have Google where you can look literally for reviews of charities. So I, I, I think that's such a great message to, to do your homework. Well, every tragedy and crises and catastrophe brings out the worst in people. But you know what? It also brings out the best in people too. So what are you focusing on? Yeah, there's a lot of scams out there that I'm sure are saying, this is hurricane relief, give us your money and their scams. So yeah, again, be smart in your giving. So do your research, make sure if you're writing out a check, you're writing it to the right organization, uh, that that your fundraising philanthropic promises are making a difference because, and I don't want to be the expert here, I really don't, but I think the Red Cross has come out with saying, you know, what we need is your money. And if people want to collect clothing, well, that can be counterproductive. First of all, if we all of a sudden shipped a whole bunch of boxes of clothes to uh, a school in Houston, where are they going to warehouse it? Who's going to go through all of the boxes? It's like having a 
a goodwill store? Who can manage that? Who can, you know, are the clothes clean? What are the sizes? Who needs what? It's just too much. And, and, and it's expensive and time consuming and takes a lot of manpower. So what these organizations are saying is send money, send money. And that's what I keep on repeating. Send money. We need money. And it's to understand, you know, especially in something like a disaster. And, and, and you and I worked together on Katrina when I was with the National Cosmetology Association and, and that disaster fund, which was NCAs is now PBAs. They've carried that legacy forward. But, but I, I remember learning in Katrina so much about exactly what you bring up that, especially in the early days following a disaster, money's everything. They don't have the time or the wherewithal to be figuring out what to do with stuff. We also learned that, that the, the impact that's being felt economically and otherwise by those directly hit by these storms lasts for months, if not years. And so, we also need to be aware as citizens that, that it's, it's not just a now kind of thing, that there's giving that has to continue. It's almost like a funeral. You know, like a woman loses her husband. And, and of course, you know, during the funeral time and maybe for a week after everybody rallies around her. Well, it's three months later when the widow is suffering and everybody's gone. And that's what's going to happen here. You know, they say that the, the hurricane was the was the tragedy. The catastrophe happens now. And, and could last for months and months and months. I just talked to somebody who uh, in Houston, the water was in his house for 15 days, 15 days. You know what that does to things? And so it, it is, it's money and we need to keep them in our, in our thoughts and keep them uh, uh, in our, in our pocketbooks. Uh, stay aware because this is going to last for a long time. And one of my favorite quotes is that service is the rent that we pay for room on this planet, which means we're all taking up space. So guess what? We have to pay rent. And how we pay rent is through service. It's, it's, it's giving money, it's creating awareness, and it's time that we all pay our rent. And I do want to add uh, to the PBA Disaster Relief Fund, which you, you're, you're so supportive of and, and, again, have been for a very long time and through every catastrophe, that natural disaster that hits. I know that, that you and the Paul Mitchell schools are always there. Um, but important for the audience to understand is that they're the only charity that I'm aware of that gives every single penny that they raise, every single penny that comes through that organization goes only to hairdressers, cosmetology students, salon owners, people in this industry, all that money goes directly to them to help them get started again, to give them a leg up on, on what's coming next. And, and what I learned in my work through that organization, talking to recipients says it was life-changing for many of them, not necessarily to get the funds, they were important, they made a huge difference, but just to know that their industry was there for them. It, it, it was so special. You know, we... Uh have gotten on the phone with every single student and team member in the Houston area and now all over Florida. And you can't believe the response in that phone call. It, first of all, if we can reach them, even a text messages uh, is, is, are making differences. But when you hear back from them, like, wow, I, I can't believe you called me. I can't, I can't believe that you're reaching out to me. Yeah, the thousand dollars that they get it, are gonna get from PBA is important to buy a toothbrush and get a little bit of peace of mind and, and buy a little bit of hope. But it's the fact that, like you say, that we're reaching out and that we're there for them. Yes, yeah, so it's it's important and it's a big deal. So everybody go to uh, 
what is it? It's uh, probeauty.org. Um, and as soon as you get to that website, you'll you'll see a slider and, and click on the disaster relief fund. It's a, it's an amazing and a, and a great charity. So thank you for bringing that up. I want I want to ask you something that I ask of every guest, and that's um, the question about the best advice that you've ever received professionally and why. And again, you've been connected to so many people. We probably could do an entire podcast of of all the best advice you've received, but but pick one. Um, boy, that would be, that's that's a hard one. Uh, pick one. Uh, I think I've already kind of said it, and that is to to hire smart people, to hire better than me, more talented. And and my job is to make sure that they're happy. And I work hard at that. And 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 here's people think that teamwork is a, a one day team building exercise. And there 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 we go. We have teamwork for the rest of our careers. It doesn't work that way. Um, my team needs to have a direct contact with me. The people that I directly work with, they need to have a direct contact with me. And it's almost like, like people, they, they, they do, they go to the gym one time, they go, they do yoga one time and think that's all it takes. No. And, and, and because it, they don't see a result after two weeks, they give up. They do the same thing with their team. They have one team exercise and then wonder why there's no trust and why their team isn't more committed. Look, look at your, look at your marriage your relationship. Your wife or your husband didn't fall in love with you because you remembered Valentine's Day. They, they fell in love with you and they probably can't even specifically say the day that it actually happened where, wow, today I am now in love with this person. The reason why they fall in love with you is because you are there for them to hear their problems at the end of a work day without giving advice. You get them coffee early in the morning before they even get up. Uh, it's, it's all the little tiny things that we do consistently every single day for years that all of a sudden you wake up and think, wow, I'm in love with this person. Same thing applies with your team. And if your team aren't in love with you because of all the little things that you do along the way, you know, I want to be the first person that calls them uh, on their birthday. I want to be the first person who calls them uh, when they had a death in their family. I want to be the first person that calls them to congratulate them on a new baby. I want to be the first person that calls them when they're struggling, when they had a little simple victory of hitting a goal. I want to be that person who's involved with them and in all of those areas of their lives, because it's, it's, it's the culmination of those things that creates a team of people, again, who are all smarter and more talented than I am, but I bring out the best in them because otherwise they're not engaged. They're engaged with their time. They show up for one thing and one thing only, and that is to receive a paycheck. But can you imagine if we could engage people's hearts and minds and 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 their creativity and everything else, the, the, the performance that we would get for each other, the, the, the way that a company could move itself forward, a salon, whatever you want to apply this to, if, if every person was engaged to look out for the best interest of each other and for the business, man unbelievable of what could happen. And so the best advice that I have is, you know, be, be smart about the things that you're smart about, but you also need to start developing your skills for developing a team, develop your skills for nurturing a team. If, if we had a business owner say, you know what, I'm just not good at numbers. We would tell them, well, get over it. If you want to be successful, you have to be good at numbers. You need to learn the language to have an educated conversation on a regular basis with your accountant. So if you're not good at numbers, get over it. Well, I have salon owners that say to me, well, I'm just not the hugging type. I'm not the nurturing type. And I'm like, you know what? Then get over it. 
You know, you, you can pay someone to clean your house. You can pay someone to mow your lawn. You wouldn't pay someone to kiss your kids goodnight. You wouldn't pay someone to attend your daughter's piano recital. Same thing applies with the team of people that you work with. You know, you can pay someone to clean your salon and do your bookkeeping. But when it comes to nurturing each other, when it comes to building a, a, a team of people who love each other and trust each other, that has to come from everybody. Yes, from the boss, but it also has to come from every other team member. And it trickles down from the boss. So if the boss is a jerk, good luck trying to get the team to create this type of a culture for each other. So what comes to mind as, as I listen to that is is um, two things. One, so spot on. <laughs> so, so, so spot on. Um, but I also go to self-awareness, the, the big idea of, of being self-aware and, and how difficult that is for some of us. Um, we're so busy, perhaps. Um, sometimes the challenges become bigger in our, in our minds than the opportunities. Um, so talk a little bit about that, if you've got any thoughts on, on just the bigger idea of self-awareness and the importance of it. Well, I do have a lot to say about it. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you know, Google, there are all kinds of confidential anonymous surveys that you can send out. And I remember when we started implementing this within my company, meaning a, a school owner sends a survey to their entire team. Tell me about me. How am I as a leader? What do you what do you really want to say? Because, you know, things sometimes are not said in a staff meeting. When is it said? After everybody leaves the meeting. <laughs> then the truth comes out. And by the way, it's the truth, the stuff that comes out after the staff meeting is over. That's the stuff that we need to know about. It's like we don't want to hear when a when a customer is unhappy with their hair service. We need to hear that because when we can fix that, not only fix whatever that one customer is upset over because they then become a more loyal customer than they were before, but we can, the, we can fix the system that broke down whatever that looks like that offered the bad service. And so we need to hear it from the customer, but we need to hear it from each other too. All of us that work with each other in that salon, we need to have the safety to be honest with each other. So, so for, for leaders, there's all kinds of surveys that are out there that you can use like a survey monkey type software to to get anonymous answers from your team. You need to hear it. But also surround yourself with people who who you don't pay. So they're not on your payroll so that they tell you the truth. And my circle is it's a it's a small circle. It's not 30 people who have permission to tell me that I'm a jerk. You know, it's a small handful of people, you know, but the, but they're not on my payroll. <laughs> Because sometimes if they're on your payroll, they won't tell you the truth. And so it's a small circle of good friends and people who know me pretty well on every level of my life from business to personal. And they can pull me aside and say, "Win, what the heck are you doing right now? You're off track here. This is not who you are. This is not the best version of you. What's going on? And so make sure that you're surrounded by those people as well. And so that kind of goes to 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 mentors and coaches, um, perhaps within the business you work in. If, but if you're behind the chair, it could be somebody who's in a salon. It could be somebody else in the profession. It could be somebody in the community with your church. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're kind of speaking a little bit about the mentor side of professional life. Absolutely, I am. And, and the resources that are available to us right now, I, I probably have never met 90% of my mentors but, you know, nowadays with podcasts and I'm, I'm a huge, big addict with uh, TED Talks, 
I mean, I'll sit if I'm sitting at my computer and sometimes, you know, you have an office job, Gordon, I have an office job. A lot of people, we have office jobs in this industry. Uh, when I'm sitting there to, to play two or three or four TED talks in the course of a day, oh my gosh, what a, what an easy resource to tap into. Uh, so th- there's, there's all kinds of ways that we can stay, af- what, what do they say? Leaders read. And by the way, I'm not a big reader, so I don't really read books, but I know a lot about a lot of books because I listen to them on CD or I listen to podcasts by those authors. And so I know a lot about these authors and the great books that they put out. Um, but gosh, we have to have to have to have good habits when it comes to that mentoring. You know, again, we we connected early on in both of our careers and then we kind of went our separate ways. And then I we reconnected when you came to prominence in the industry as a, as a, a business trainer, a speaker, somebody who was on the road. And uh, two weeks ago, I recorded a podcast with Carrie Davis and she mentioned you and she mentioned working with you and Robert on launching a program um, under Paul Mitchell was very innovative at the time about business. So I want you to talk a little bit about kind of the big ideas of, of sustaining a career in this industry from the business side for those who are behind the chair, whether they're independents, whether they're working in a salon, give us a few kind of high level things to to keep in mind if you really want to hang in there and have a great career in this business if, if you ever are bored or stagnant or burned out the solution is always education and and that's that's not from me i because i've asked that question of vidal sassoon i've asked that question of trevor sorby of vivian mckinder you know what's the solution to burnout and they all said education and I think our industry does really, really well with this because uh, we're constantly attending classes and 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 uh, e- events, whereas in other industries, maybe it's once a year that they go to some type of a training event. But so our industry is really good at it. But people listening to this, you have not heard this uh, a thousand. You've heard this a thousand times. Focus on the business side because you can go to a show and every technical artistic class is standing room only. And it's it's uh, crickets in some of the business classes. And and that's what's going to take you to that next level. So just make sure that you have a really good balance with both the technical as well as the business side of it. And as we were talking about earlier, find out who are the best of the best of the best and 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 call them. Reach out to those people. Mentors are great. But, you know, sometimes you ask for the wrong advice or you ask for advice from the wrong person. You ask for relationship advice from the woman who's been divorced three times and now she hates men. That's, that's not a mentor. So make sure that you're, you're asking for good advice and asking people to mentor you. You only get what you ask for and, but make sure that it's coming from the right sources, the people who truly, truly love this industry and they are successful in the areas where you want to have success and improvement. So much good stuff there and, and, and through everything we've talked about. But but this idea just like pops, you know, listening to you. And, and that is, you know, going to those business classes at these events. You know, we, again, we've, we've been to so many. Um, we know so many successful people. And looking back, you know, I'm like, you know what? Those classes that don't have a lot of people in them, that are some of the some of the most important information you can learn. So many of the people that I see today who are successful are people I met in those empty classrooms. It's, you know, those are the people who kind of made the right choices at a show with a hundred choices. And they they perhaps learn that one thing from a great speaker like you or a Gino Sampora or, or Michael Cole going old school. And there's so many, you know, new ones today, but 
But making those right choices in the face of a hundred choices on a weekend at a professional event really matters. And going outside the beauty industry, because mm. I have some hairdressers have the attitude that, well, if they're not from the beauty industry, I don't really care what they have to say. And again, so small minded, you, you need to reach outside the beauty industry. I've, I've mentioned other companies that I've studied, such as Disney and Four Seasons and the Ritz Carlton and Nordstrom's, you know, the, as well as just individual mentors. Um, I've asked you, Gordon, tell me, who are, who are you listening to? Who are your favorite podcasts? And you've shared that with me. So just get out there and, and realize there are so many, nowadays, so many resources available to you uh, and, and a lot of it for free, but just to make it a good, good habit. My good, good habit that I learned from a mentor long, long time ago was that I never listened to music in my car. I I love music. I'm a musician myself. I go to probably 30 concerts a year. I'm not exaggerating. I love music. But when I'm in my car, that's my private learning time. So if I'm in my car, a 10 minute drive to the gym, well, that's 10 minutes of listening to the mentors voices. Sometimes I'm in my car for hours a day, hours a day of listening to the voices of my mentors and my teachers. I mean, my gosh, after doing this for so many years, I think that's probably enough to have a college degree by now. And not just in the car, but on the bus, uh, in the gym, walking the dog with the earbuds in. I mean, with again, with technology, with smartphones in our back pocket and earbuds in our ears, the opportunity to kind of have a playlist is, you know, a little music, a, a lot of music is great, but to also kind of blend in those, those learning opportunities, you know, that's a, that's, that's great advice. Well, I just don't get time otherwise, you know, I would, yeah. I would love to say I'm going to sit down and read a book, but it doesn't happen. I would love to say I'm going to pop in a DVD, educational DVD, does not happen. But again, when I, that's just my good habit. In, in the car, that's easy, easy, because I'm not interrupted. Nothing else is going on. I can't pop in a DVD. I don't need to listen to music during the car drive. And that's my private time. And importantly, for those who are pressed for time, um, you know, so busy behind the chair, but still struggling to get to the next level, you got to make the time. You know, you you if you do walk the dog and that's your relaxing time, well, maybe you got to find a way to build some education in there if your goal is to get to the next place. And if you're unable to do so, doing everything the way you're doing it today. You know what? You are successful because of what you know, and you are unsuccessful because of what you don't know. So just make sure that you're constantly learning. And um, again, it's, it's, it's at our fingertips. It's just, it's so easy and so available. Stephen Covey talk, calls it sharpening the saw. He tells the story of a man, he's walking up a man who's trying to saw down a tree and he's sweating and the man says, why don't you stop and sharpen your saw? He says, I'm too busy sawing. I don't have time to sharpen the saw. You know, we need to stop. We're, we're so busy. We are so, so busy. We need to stop, sharpen the saw. Let's get smarter. Let's get better at what, uh, of who we are and what we're doing because that absolutely will serve us well. And if in what you're doing today, you don't have time because it is it is what it is. If you're maybe in a dead-end job for some reason, and, and again, there is no time, again, I think you just got to go sharpen that saw in your off hours so that you can prepare yourself for the next opportunity in life. And get up early. <laughs> get up. Get, get, get up early. Oh, my gosh. If, if people can master that. And by the way, the, 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 the habit, the good habit of getting up early needs to start with you getting up early <laughs> people go they they go to bed at midnight 
Yep. And then they wonder why they're not getting up early. Well, I'm sorry, you can't get up, go to bed at midnight and think that you're going to get up at six in the morning. It just doesn't work well that way. So just, you know, to start the good habit of getting up early, get up early, uh, which means you're going to be more tired and fall asleep long before you used to fall asleep so that you have the good habit the next day of getting up early. And if you're struggling to your earlier point, you know, get a fish who will wake you up at 530. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go look for that fish. I have a dog, thankfully, who wakes me up at six. And yeah. so uh, I, I'm with you. I'm, at, I'm not at 530, but I am at six. And I, I spend my first hour of the day listening to to podcasts and, and other things that just kind of get my day started. I don't, I don't even turn on the news. you know. I, so that's my commitment to something. Similar. Oh, I would tell people to not turn on the news because then you're starting off your day kind of pissed off. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you on that one. Um, so let's do a quick talk about social media because it's 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 really has changed the game. Um, I was recently at the Paul Mitchell School here in Chicago with our our friends, mutual friends, um, Steve and, and Terry Cowan, and I know uh, there's actually a social media club at. Paul Mitchell schools. And I, I don't know if social media is your thing. I know you're really, really busy. And, and, um, um, but I know that from a curriculum perspective that someone thought it important enough to, to kind of bring into the school. So kind of what's your take on what's happening with social? What does it mean? Um, any thoughts? Uh, again, this, this is not my area of expertise. I mean, I, I come to you for advice on this stuff. I go to, I go to my, uh, millennial assistant to help me figure out why, whatever gadget isn't working on my phone. Uh, so I, I absolutely rely on people who are much smarter than I am, but I'm smart enough to know that it's important. Uh, so when you ask me certain questions, I can respond with, I don't know, but I know who knows. And my job is to make sure that whoever does know is happy and that they're looking out for me because I'm looking out for them. But y- y- you have to be a player in that world. You know, and, and, and if you're not, if, if, if you're just putting it on hold or pushing it back or it's at the bottom of your list because you're trying to get your head wrapped around it. I don't have my head wrapped around it, but I but I'm smart enough to make sure that I'm surrounded by people who who have this figured out. So you, you, you absolutely, absolutely. And I think some people avoid it because they're like, well, you know, you can never get a haircut online. That will never happen. So we're we're fine to not be technically smart. Because our industry will never go away because you can't get a haircut, you know, online. Well, that's, that's again, small-minded. Well, and what it misses is the bigger idea that, that social media for business, for career, is perhaps one of the more powerful tools that has ever come along. Um, you and I were around, you know, back in the day um, before there was email. And salons were savvy salons. Many of them were creating print newsletters and print promotional pieces and door hangers and marketing matters. It's always mattered. And today, social media is the new marketing. So no, it's not going to, you can't cut hair, but you can't cut hair with marketing anyway. You never could. Um, But you needed to market yourself in order to have clients sitting in your chair so you can cut as much hair as you possibly could in a given day. And And I love that in in every part of what you do, you're smart enough to bring other resources to the table to fill in the gaps that that you have in in you know the larger skill set. I guess is the best way to say it. And we have a lot of folks you know who listen to this podcast who I'm sure in their businesses say, well, I'm not sure if I have time even even if I have interest time to do certain things. So go out and find somebody who can fill that gap to help propel your way, business. I have a feeling that they're already part of your team. <laughs> And all yep. they're waiting for is permission. They're all, they're waiting for you to ask them. 
You know, people support what they help to create. People want to be empowered. People want to feel like they belong and that they're making a contribution to the organization. Well, they need permission to do that. And how we give them permission is, first of all, to invite them. Oh, my gosh. I would love it if you within our salon could start a social media team. Uh, and maybe the team is just the three of you, but you guys are empowered that four times a day, you're going to be posting something on Instagram. You know, three times a day, you're going to be posting something on Twitter or whatever. You're going to update our Facebook page every couple of days or whatever that looks like. Again, I'm not the expert on on that one, but I I've certainly been doing my my studying on on how active we should be on all these different platforms, but your team is waiting to be empowered. So find the people, empower them, invite them, and then just sit back and watch them go. And again, I I think that's a something that can be applied to every part of your business. You know, there's new trends, you know, in in hair fashion, and there's team members probably waiting to be empowered. Maybe there's a a new service category developing. Um, The barber, the men's grooming thing is off the chart right now. And again, as an owner, as a manager, as somebody who's leading a team, are you empowering your team to take advantage of all the stuff going around us, even in the real world? Yeah. I I, I just think it's hilarious that you would ask me about social media. You're so funny. (laughs) Well, what I'm asking you really about is is as a leader, (laughs) as a leader, which I know you are, and and I happen to know you have a team of people who who take good care of you when it comes to social media, the, the the real important part of that little bit of conversation was the was the delegation, and you you spoke well to it. So so every, <laughs> everybody everybody learned from win. You don't have to do everything, you know. I was talking to a, a salon owner recently, new salon owner trying to grow, small salon, a team of three people, and talking about things that maybe could be done differently. We're going kind of back and forth, and he was just overwhelmed with time. And I I, I said to him, well. You know, you have to think about what you do really well and, and what you really need to accomplish that maybe you're not getting to. And I, I use the example of salon owners who wash the windows because nobody can do it as good as I can. And he said to me, that's me. I wash my windows. I was like, stop washing the windows. Focus on get someone who can wash your windows and delegate that and focus on driving your business, leading your team and doing all the important stuff that needs to be done. And windows are important, by the way. And the, and the important stuff is making sure that your fe- your team feels appreciated for washing the windows. There you go. And, and, and that's it, you know, because people have that attitude. Well, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Again, that is going to hold you back like you would not believe. But 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 here's the deal. You might be right because sometimes you're such a jerk as a boss. You're such a B word as a boss that people don't want to help you. So you're right. You do have to do it by yourself. And by the way, you may not be a jerk, but people think that you're a jerk. And why is that? Because you never hug them. You're always too busy for them. You're always on your phone. You never smile. You never create fun. You never show up to their parties. You never thank them and so it's, it's those things that absolutely will empower a team of people so that they want to have clean windows for you. And you can take that a step further, I think, for some, and, and I've, I've known people like this in the industry who are exactly what you just described, but made a decision early on that what they did best as an owner was work behind the chair, was perhaps manage the financial side of their business, but they hired a great manager, someone to fill the leadership role with the team and get that side of the work done. So because we do have people who become owners um, who never quite become leaders, 
but maybe are smart enough to kind of bring someone else to fill in that gap. And that's an, another way of tackling a similar problem. Oh, by the way, I do have one more answer about social media. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and that is, you know, my name is Wynn Claybaugh, but Wynn Claybaugh is also my brand. And I'm smart enough to protect my brand. And my brand, Wynn Claybaugh, really has nothing to do with Paul Mitchell. And it has everything to do with Paul Mitchell. But it stands on its own. And I protect my brand. And so I invite anybody to check out all of my social media on every platform. And what you're going to see is professionalism. What you're going to see is something positive. You you are not going to see all that stuff that I'm not running a Jerry Springer show on my Facebook page. <laughs> and I think very importantly, um, you will not believe that anybody but Wynn is doing the posting. I mean, I think you've got a team of people who, to your point of protecting your brand, know your brand. They're, they 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 have the voice that you want them to have in representing your brand. So again, back to delegating and having a team of people who can help get all the work done. It's, it's important and it matters. And the people who really understand the brand, that's critical. Yeah, absolutely. So I always, I love to ask everybody, share with the audience, what are you reading, viewing, listening to, something you're obsessing about? You've shared a lot of stuff. Um, but kind of as we get ready to close here, I, I would love to get just some something good that's really inspiring you right now that you would love to share with the audience and tell them why they might want to check it out. Okay, I would say that probably my two biggest mentors today who I'm listening to, both through TED Talks, podcasts, uh, reading their books. Yes, I'm reading their books are uh, uh, Simon Sinek and uh, Sean Acor. Uh, Acor spelled A-C-H-O-R. He has a book called The Happiness Advantage. And I think actually both of those men probably have the most watched TED Talks uh, in history. Um, but they're, but just their messages and because their messages resonate with me so much about the importance of a healthy culture, a healthy environment. And it's our responsibility to empower our teams and lead them in that direction. And I you know, I'm the type of person that I, I thrive on joy. I need I need fun in my life every day. You know, some people thrive on on the stress and, you know, I'm stressed, too, but but I'm going to turn it into something fun. Some people thrive on 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 the misery. They thrive on the gossip. They thrive on other things. And that's just not me. I thrive when things are fun and I'm and I'm joyful. Doesn't mean that I'm really, really busy. And so for these two men, their messages are right in line with that. Again, the happiness advantage, come on, it doesn't get much better than that. And and he is brilliant. Sean Acor is just brilliant on this topic. And again, Simon Sinek, and he's he is rising and rising and so many companies and organizations and industries reach out to him about culture. And he ba- he breaks it down. It's real simple, real, real simple that people need to feel safe. They need to feel like they belong and they need to feel like they have a purpose, that they're making a difference. I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that. But uh, that, those are who I'm excited about right now. Great, great choices. Um, great choices. And I recommend everybody check them out. Um, again, put your earbuds in, listen to those TED Talks as, as a starting place. And for those who don't read, I, I always bring this up, and I, I think it's important to mention, I'm, I'm, I'm a big reader, uh, but I've become a fan of Audible, which is uh, audiobooks. You know, it's on my phone. Um, first two books are free. I always sound like they're a sponsor or something. They're not. But I, I, I know that so many in our industry um, struggle sometimes with reading. They may have dyslexia or they may have other um, learning issues that they just make traditional learning a struggle. So I, I think audiobooks are, are a great alternative 
to accessing brilliant information like you've just offered um, and not have to read. It's good stuff. Tell us where we can find Win online. Um, also, Paul Mitchell, the schools. Give us some um, website addresses, any social handles. How can folks um, find you? And also masters, of course. Um, it's all my name. So my website is winclaybaugh.com. So W-I-N-N-C-L-A-Y-B-A-U-G-H, winclaybaugh.com. And on there, I have masters. I have philanthropy. I have my job as a speaker because, you know, we all have about 10 jobs. I have uh, my connection to the schools. Everything is under that one brand, that one website and branches off from there. So I, I made it real, real simple. I love it. And I encourage everybody to follow in. If you are fortunate enough to be in one of those rare places today where we get to see Win in public because, you know, Sophia keeps him kind of busy. <laughs> but So I know you're out there from time to time and I encourage anybody who has the chance to hear you speak to do so. Um, Wynn, uh, founder, dean, co-owner of Paul Mitchell, the schools, a f- philanthropist, a leader in the industry, uh, a good friend and um, somebody I'm so happy um, I was able to get to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for being on the American Salon Stories podcast and sharing with our audience today. Thank Gordon. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're a good, good man. And the contribution you make to this industry, uh, people are feeling it a lot more these days, your contribution. And that just makes me very, very happy. Thank you for that. And again, thanks for being here. I will talk to you again soon, probably at 630 in the morning when you're on the treadmill. <laughs> you got it. All right. Take care. Bye. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow American Salon on Instagram, where we're known as American underscore Salon, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to the Daily Beauty Fix e-newsletter. This is American Salon guest contributor and harebrained CEO, Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you another American Salon Stories podcast next week. Music